Amen, and good evening. As far as, as far as the week goes, I do wish you a wonderful Independence Day, and I preached on liberty this morning, and thought that was pretty fitting for the week, but tonight we're going to shift gears just a little bit. Matthew chapter 6, if you would, to start with. Matthew chapter 6. I don't see, I know he's here, I don't see Brother Visco, I know he's in the hallway somewhere because I saw him wandering about, but he sends me a text this afternoon, it's somebody else's screenshot of somebody's post that they put on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is they put up there, and uh, there's a snapshot and it said that pastor's preaching 50, uh, 50 weeks a year, two sermons, would, would preach the equivalent of nine, writing nine novels. So don't be upset with him when he gives you a boring chapter. I don't know if that was a critique of my morning message. But it certainly felt like it. All right, Matthew chapter 6. Hopefully I will not bore you tonight. Oh, okay, all right. So Sunday school and the morning service were terrible today. Okay, all right, all right. At least I was not alone. Um, Matthew 6, uh, verse number 24. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. We're going to read... Uh, all the way to the end of the chapter. And he says in verse number 24 here, Matthew 6, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, neither, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you even, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Uh, Jesus Christ, of course, is talking. He's giving the discourse here. And ultimately, right, you can't serve two masters. I'm going to go ahead and make a pretty big assumption tonight, although uh, 
good-sized crowd here. I'm going to say that most, if not everybody in the room, is saved. They've trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They know they're going to heaven for all of eternity. And that portion has been taken care of for us. You have liberty in Jesus Christ tonight uh, because of that. And so the bondage and the idea of two masters is very real to us. We have the old master, the devil, right? And that old master wants to retain control through our flesh and our desires and temptations that he tries to give us. And on the other hand, we have Jesus Christ, the new master, right? The one who saved us for all of eternity with his own blood, acquired us again after he made us. He goes ahead and buys us back from the devil and takes care of all of our sins and removes them all and says, hey, I've got this Holy Spirit for you and you can walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh and what the devil's doing. And he goes on to say uh, not to go ahead and think about our life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink or any of these things. Instead, verse number 33, he says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And uh, I, am, I am somebody of the mentality, I like lists. I like, I like my lists, all right? Brother Bacon knows I like my list, all right? Uh, right? And you say, what do you do? Uh, oftentimes, if I want to accomplish some things, I, I write down what I want to accomplish, and then I decide what I have to do first. What's the most important thing to get done today, right? Uh, what's the most important, what thing do I have to accomplish this week? Uh, Brother Larry and I have worked extensively on the addictions program over the last few weeks, and I appreciate the prayers. Many of you have been praying for us. Keep praying. We're not done making the modifications and things, and we're getting more input from a few uh, that are working in it and uh, trying to make sure we're not missing anything or doing something that doesn't seem like it's going to flow. We're just trying to make it right and trying to do it well. And but Larry and I looked at that thing and we said, well, what do we got to do first? Say, what happens? When you get things out of order, right? You don't put things in the right order. What happens? We got to go back and fix something you already did because something's not lined up right. You can't start in the middle and then work your way out and then it doesn't really work so well. You got to find out what the first thing is that we're supposed to take care of. Uh, I, am, I am a huge proponent of the verse, let all things be done decently and in order. All right, there's an order and I like it to be decent and as best we can. We don't want to mess. We would like it decent and we'd like it done in order the way it's supposed to be done. I really like that verse. You say, why? Because God's a God of order. Now, uh, you get into some meetings, I'm going to just, I'm going to throw some extra stuff right here, just a little bit. Uh, so don't mind some of this. If you don't like it, just pass it back, I don't know. Um, but uh, truly, right, you get into some churches and some meetings, and the answer is, well, we don't really have a schedule because God, just the Spirit will lead us and guide us. And what that means is nobody got anything ready. That's really what that means. Regardless, that sounds real super spiritual. God's going to lead us. But really, it's just I'm lazy and I didn't do anything. All right? Uh, I am 100% about being prepared and letting God change my order. But I like order. If Brother Kevin got up here tonight and he went, I don't have any songs. I'm just going to kind of open the book and let it fall where it is. You might get stuck trying to sing, Oh, Sacred Head Now Wounded. I am not going to let you live that down. And that's one thing I won't let you forget right there. 
you might forget everything else, but you won't forget that right there. Um, and you may, you may end up with some weird things. You say, what happens? When there's no preparation, you could end up with weird things. When things aren't in order, you get weird things. When it's not organized and set up and the mindset is there to figure out what should be done first and then second and then there and order, right? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That's not just the directive of the order that is also organized. They're ordered, they're set in place. He's not, he's not going, oh, go over there and then go over here and then go back there. He's got an order to things. And tonight I want to talk about first things first. There's a lot of things that people put out of order in their life. They get things out of balance. They get things out of perspective. I do it. You do it. We all do it. And so tonight I just want a little reset button, right? Uh, you hit the reset button. What happens? Everything goes back to the default setting of what's supposed to be first. Uncloud the mind of all the extras and forget about those things and go, okay, what does God tell me is important so that I can stay on task for what's important? And so let's have a word of prayer, and I'm just going to give you five things that are more important than another thing, all right? So, Father, I do thank you for the night. I thank you for the goodness and the mercy of a holy God who would reach down and save to the uttermost a wretched man like me. And Lord, I do thank you that you have reached down and blessed and helped and strengthened. And I do pray tonight would be another one of those times where you reach down and help me, Father, to say what I ought to say, nothing more and nothing less, that, Lord, you'd be able to work and have your will and your way. And Father, I do pray that you'd help me just to say things the way you want them said, that it would minister grace onto the hearers. And Lord, you'd help us maybe to get some things back in focus, maybe confirm that we're doing the right things in a lot of areas but father maybe there's something we're missing and so father i pray you'd help us to see it so that we can fix it so that we can live better for you lord once again we do pray that you would bless the night i don't know of anybody here that's lost but father if you do uh, father if they're here you know it and so father i do pray that they would call upon jesus christ tonight lord once again we do pray you would get the blessing out of the services this evening we pray you would come back soon in jesus name amen Amen. First thing uh, that we see is found right here in Matthew chapter 6, uh, there in verse 33, right? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, the first thing I want you to see is that the spiritual comes before the physical. Uh, the spiritual is always more important than the physical that you're dealing with. That is 100% of the time. That's not even an, uh, you know, occasionally or maybe this or maybe that. No, the most important things are the spiritual side of everything. Jesus Christ, the constant of the life of Christ, dealing with his 12 disciples was this. Look at the spiritual, quit looking at the physical. You see it over and over again. I mean, something as simple as he goes ahead and he feeds 5,000 uh, men plus women and children. They hop on the boat, right? They're going across and he says... But where are the leaven of the Pharisees? And they start talking between each other going, that's because we forgot the bread. We didn't bring any food. And he's thinking, what is wrong with you? I fed 5,000 people with almost nothing. You think the 13 of us can't go ahead and have a meal without you really bringing anything to the table here? He's going, no, don't you, don't you know what I just did? 
and he, they finally figure out, no, that's a spiritual truth. Beware of the leaven, the doctrine that's been added to and is no longer pure that the Pharisees were trying to teach. He's constantly trying to get them to see that the physical realm doesn't matter. The Lord can take care of all the physical things that he wants to. Uh, what, what you eat and what you drink and what you put on and where you're staying tonight, the Lord pays for all of that. That's easy for him. You know what's hard? Stop looking at the physical and look at the spiritual. It's not about the bank account and it's not about all the other things, right? That rich man, that rich young ruler shows up to Jesus Christ. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Right question. What was his problem? He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Couldn't get his eyes off the physical and look to the eternal. The physical and the temporal are not the thing that matters. Well, I got I to gotta do all this because the sad truth is most, most people, you know what they do? They base their moves, they base their, their job status, they base all those things upon the security that they can have physically and have no idea of what they'll do to their family spiritually. A friend of mine, pastors, pastors of church, he had a family in his church. The man was, uh, was trying to weigh out a decision. He, he's over here on the East Coast, and I won't say, you know, the church or anything, but he was over here on the East Coast, had a family in his church, great family. Kids are growing, parents are growing, everybody's doing really good. Spiritually, they're growing and making great gains. And the guy really wasn't making a lot of money at the job and was really worried about the bills and different things. And he had a lot of things coming up and he knew all that. And he got a job offer in Colorado. Now, Brother Mike, maybe you know of a lot of churches. You may know some good churches out in Colorado. I know of only a couple good, I mean like solid Bible-believing, our crowd type churches. Colorado, not a whole lot. They're pretty spread out over there from what I can tell. You know what the man did? He said, I got to take care of my family. So he flew across, his whole family across the country. Three months later, he's calling my friend. He says, Pastor, I made a big mistake, but I can't do anything about it right now. I don't have a church. I don't have any help. I'm working this job, and I, I know I shouldn't have gone here. But I'm under contract, and I can't get out yet. So what did he do? He put the physical in front of the spiritual. He was in a good place, in a good church. His kids were growing. His kids had gotten saved in the church. He was making all the right moves right there. And then what happened? He made a choice. I need to take care of my family. No, the Lord takes care of your family. He may move you. He may do those things, but you better make sure that it's him moving. Because if it's not, you're in a whole lot more trouble than you really want to bargain for. Balaam put a house full of gold over the top of what the Lord wanted him to do. He paid with his life. If you don't know about Balaam, you should go back and read the book of Numbers. Over, there's example after example after example of people who go ahead and they put the physical ahead of the spiritual. You know what happens? Esau. 
happens. What good's a birthright going to do me if, I, if I'm dead? I'm going to die. Give me my bowl of pottage. Physical over the eternal, the spiritual. Over and over. Quit worrying about the physical because you know what the devil does? He tries to get you to look at the physical so you won't pay any attention to the spiritual. It's always around us. Something physical happens, we get angry, we get upset, we get, and we get distracted. How many times have we been distracted and then afterwards recognized, I should have been doing this? The physical wrapped us up and we didn't give out a gospel track, we weren't a good witness, we didn't have a good testimony that day. Something got in the way and the Lord couldn't use what we were supposed to do, but instead we got distracted by the things of the physical realm and we lost out on the spiritual blessings. It happens over and over again. So what do you got to do? Keep first things first. Pay attention to the spiritual. Worry about, you know, people wonder, and, and I don't mean this, I don't mean this terribly, I really don't. But people wonder why their lost family members put everything on Sunday. Now I know that God is not tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But he does often put us to a test. And I wonder if it's to see if you're going to choose your family over him. Why we have a family reunion on Sunday. It's funny, everything happens on Sunday. Why didn't it happen on Saturday? There's plenty of Saturdays. It's all, oh, Saturday, that's the day that I do. Okay. Well, Sunday's the day that I'm at church. And I'll put the spiritual above the temporal. So I was just saying that because you want people in church. I want people in church, yeah, but the problem is that we could have... 300 people in this room if we wanted to, but you know, the person who didn't show up, who was supposed to show up, is the person who's paying the price. You get the blessing by coming, and not because you got to hear me, you got the blessing coming because the Lord wanted to meet with you. That's the idea. The, The whole purpose of church is not so that we can take up an offering and so that we can do this and do that. It's so that you can worship God in spirit and in truth and go ahead and put the spiritual down and be happy that you got to go ahead and leave the flesh and the physical side, step into a room where you don't have to worry about the temporal things and instead the things of the spirit and go ahead and praise and worship the God that saved you for all of eternity. But too many times we let things get in the way. From paying attention to the spiritual. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Too many times we seek other things and we don't seek Him. We don't push for the relate. We let things get in the way of the Bible reading and the prayer and the services and doing this. And, and we just say, well, it's just this little bit. And the Lord says, yeah, but you let something come in between. You didn't get the first thing in place. It's amazing how when the first piece gets put in place, so many other pieces go right in where they're supposed to. Look over at uh, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. 
I'm reading some slightly longer passages tonight. I want you to see the whole context. It's kind of a full picture type thing as he slides these into place. And here in Luke 14, excuse me, Luke 14 and verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and his mother, and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. Saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he will he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Uh not only do you have the spiritual before the physical, you have consequences before actions. That's what he's laying out. He's laying out the consequences before the action takes place. Right? The rich, the man who's getting ready to build, he counts the cost to see if he has enough to finish the task right there. He looks over and uh, you're looking at the king and he's sitting there and he's going, okay, I got this many troops and this is my tactics and if we go to war, what's the chances of us winning? It's planning. It's the, the end result versus the initial startup. And he is looking at these folks, and you know what he says? He says, uh, you got to count the cost to be my disciple. That's the, this is a scary one. Because the scary part is, you and I have no idea what the cost is. We have no clue what the cost is. So you know what he says? He says, verse 26, that if a man hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also. He goes, are you willing to follow me? Count the cost. It could cost you everything to follow me. First count the cost. How many times, how many times have you seen it? Maybe how many times have you done it? Don't say how many you've done it. Amen. Uh, How many times do we go, Lord, I'll do that. And we jump right up. I'll pay for that. I'll do that. I'll do this. I'll take, Lord, you, you got it on me and I'm going to take care of this. And this is it right here. And in the moment we are ready to go and we mean every word. And then the Lord says, okay. And then the time to pay shows up. Thou vowest to vow unto the Lord, defer not to pay it. And the vow shows up, and then we go, I'm a little short. Well, I know I said that, but... So what happens? You you didn't count the cost. Well, I didn't think it... Okay. You're right, you didn't think. 
you didn't count the cost of what was about to happen. Those consequences are great. Over and over again, you know, he warns us here to go ahead and count the cost of some things that are happening in our lives before we get to the end result, hoping that we understand that we need to finish. We need to finish what he asked us to do. As a disciple, the goal is, hey, what will it cost me? Well, maybe it will cost me everything. Well, that's only for the missionary. Is it? Is the call only for the missionary? Well, no. That's just for everybody that preaches and, you know, those, those people. No, it's anybody who wants to follow him. Well, I don't know if I want that. He's worth every penny. It's worth every bit. But oftentimes we don't think before we act. We make foolish vows. You know, we all make fun of the throwing that fleece out there, right? Put it out there, and if I, if I put it out and the grass is wet and the fleece is dry, and if the fleece is wet and the grass is dry, and we've got to do this 52 times before we can make sure the Lord's in it, right? But at least he made sure the Lord was in it. I mean, that's a pretty good deal. I mean, if he does that for you, and you turn around and you go into that battle, the one thing you know is the Lord sent me here. At least you got all the confidence in the world that he's with you. Well, count the cost first. You say, is it worth it? Absolutely. I think whatever the Lord asks of you, it's worth the price. I find no problem with that in Scripture. It's worth it every time. You don't see one person. You realize that Jesus Christ gives his life a ransom for many, and the answer to that is, Hebrews chapter 12, Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Right? We're looking at him, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the cross? No, no. The joy passed that. There was a cross in between. But he wasn't looking at the cost. He was looking at the end result. The joy that was out there. Well, I don't know if it'll be worth it. If I've got to pay something in the middle, it'll be worth it out there. But your problem is you're too focused on the physical and not the spiritual. So you don't think it's worth it. It's good to count the cost. You should count the cost. Absolutely. The consequences before the action. But make sure you understand the consequences are always up to him. The price is his. He'll set the price. And every time the Lord sets the price, he's never given an unfair price. He's always done justly. Even when it's just a penny a day. Look back at Matthew chapter 7. I'm having a good time with this message. If you're not, I'm enjoying myself. So, Brother Biscom, I apologize if you're bored, sir. Matthew chapter 7. 
Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. We'll get the third one in here. The spiritual before the physical, the consequences before the actions. Verse number 1, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Uh, Self-inspection before condemnation. This is a good one right here. Uh, you say, what is it? It's, it's check yourself out before you go ahead and look around at everybody else. You have enough problems in your own life than worrying about everybody else's problems. Uh, oftentimes we're, you know, you get, you get to that spot in Thessalonians and he says, not to be a busybody in other men's matters. Boy, I wish more Christians memorized that verse right there. Uh, quit being a busybody in everybody else's stuff. That's not your stuff. Quit worrying about it. Uh, you know, sadly, sadly, I have the displeasure of knowing a whole lot of dirty, terrible things that happen in other churches because a pastor comes and goes, what do I do with this? You know what I got to do? Give them his best godly counsel out of the Bible if they ask me a question on what to do. Brother, this is what I see. I don't know. You do what the Lord tells you to do. This is what I got. But ultimately... Thank the Lord it's not my problem. Amen? It's not my, I don't have to answer for it. I don't have any accountability in the situation. It's not my garbage. It's not mine. You hear some things. You deal with some things. You know some things. Guess what? You might want to turn around and go, Lord, do I got anything going on I might need to take care of? Is there something for me before I deal with that? Because I don't really want to get into that. Sadly, we don't do a whole lot of self-inspection. We're really good at inspecting everybody else, though. Uh, we're really good at making sure I know what is wrong with everybody else in the room. And we do a real, I mean, isn't it amazing? You get asked a question on how to do something, and you can tell somebody exactly how to do it. And then you think, just for a moment, you go, I don't even do that. You ever done that? Ever, I mean... I hope I'm not the only one. I'll be, sitting, I'll be sitting in the office and I'll be talking to somebody and they'll ask me a question and we'll be talking about, you know, marriage counseling or doing discipleship and they're dealing with something and you get asked a question and they're doing something wrong and you're like, oh yeah, the Bible says all this. And then you stop for a minute and you're like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been messing that up too. Why? Because all flesh is grass. Get your eyes off the prize. You know what you'll do. You'll keep looking at everybody else's problems. You know what people like to do? They like to not think about their own problems and fix their own stuff, but they'll gladly fix everybody else's stuff. They'll take care of your problems and everybody else's problems, and they leave their own place in a wreck. Because they don't try to figure out what's wrong inside. I'm not a, I am not a huge fan of all sorts of weird media, you know me, all right? But I do like a few people. One guy, he's a lost man, and I won't give you his name right here, just because I don't want to promote him, all right? He's a lost guy, but I like him. He's got some really good stuff. 
I saw a video he did, and you know what he said? He said, if you'd sit down and for about 10, 15 minutes, just think about one thing in your life that you don't like about your own self. Now, that's a lost man, all right? He goes, and then think, what would I do to fix that? What do I need to do to eliminate that one thing? And after you get that out of your way, sit down for another 15 minutes and go, okay, on to the next. If I could fix one thing, what would it be? Because you and I have a long list of things to fix, right? I mean, let's face it, you don't have one thing or two, all right? We got a lot we could work on, all right? I thought that was pretty good advice. So, yeah, is that biblical advice though, right? You know what the Lord says? Paul makes the statement, right, that he hasn't attained, either is already perfect, right? But then he makes the statement, he says, but as many of us as be perfect. I thought you just said one verse ago that you weren't. That's because he's attained to where he's supposed to be right now. He's working on the thing he's supposed to be fixing today. And then he's going to realize what next thing he needs to fix, and he's going to take that step. And he's going to fix that one. And the Lord's going to give him another one, and he's going to... So here's my advice. How about you sit down and you pray and you go, Lord, what do I need to fix today? What's the first thing I need to take care of? Because I need to self-diagnose self right here. Lord, you need to tell me what am I doing wrong. What do I need to fix first? Before you go dealing with everybody else's issues. Maybe you ought to start taking stock and all the things you've got going on before you start dealing with everybody else's issues. Uh, you know, I think that would be a great help to everybody. If people quit being a busybody in other men's matters and just do the right thing themselves. Now, that doesn't mean people won't come to you and ask for your advice. You hope that they do. Amen. I hope people come to me and ask for my advice, even though I don't do everything perfect. I hope they come to me and they ask for my advice and we open a Bible and we figure out the answer. Don't go looking to go ahead and meddle in everybody else's affairs. Go ahead, and, go ahead and take care of the deal that you have going on because usually your issue is bigger than theirs. You just don't see it that way. Look back a couple chapters. Matthew chapter 5. I'll move on. Matthew chapter 5. First things first, right? You got to have the spiritual before the physical. You got to count the cost before you take the action. You got to go ahead and do some self inspection before you start condemning everybody else. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. And go thy way first, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. 
Now, I know this is Sermon on the Mount. I know this is, he references the kingdom of heaven just a few verses earlier. I know this is not a verse to all of us saved folks in the room. And doctrinally, you can splice this over along with a bunch of the other things that I said this evening in context. But the spiritual truth is right there. The spiritual truth is right there. Don't miss it just because you want to go ahead and push that out because you don't want to deal with your anger issues and the difference uh, you have with everybody else and you want to stay mad at everybody and be upset with them. Uh, I want you to understand that God desires reconciliation before worship. You see what's happening right here? He goes, you've got ought against your brother. You're bringing the gift, right? You're bringing the offering that you're about to make to God. You're about to give him some worship right here. And he says, don't do it. How many times do you see God saying, don't worship me? His answer is, don't bring it yet. Why? I need you to go and fix that. You've got a problem with your brother. You know something's not right between you and some other person. Then fix it. Go fix it. Before you come and make the offering to me. This goes hand in hand with let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. The problem we have is that people have anger between one another and they don't ever deal with it. They go, oh, I'll forgive and I won't forget. Well, then you're not forgiving. Well, you just don't, you just don't understand. I can't ever forgive that. Okay, except for... The fact that as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. The Lord will gladly forgive if you would be willing to forget all about what's going on. If you'd come to him and go, Lord, I'm done. I'm sorry. He'd go, okay. And he'll forgive you. He'll forget it. You can forget about it. Never have to worry about it again. Why can't you do that with your brother? Why is it that you can't get things straightened out with the people in church? Why do people just leave instead of fixing it? We've had that. People leave. All it takes is just something simple. But instead they wreck their family, they wreck their life, they wreck their relationship with God and they go off because they don't want to say sorry and they don't want an apology. They want something more. They let bitterness win. They let their anger get the better of them. Well, you can't tell me how to worship God. Okay, God does. God does. Go reconcile with your brother before you come in and worship me. Wow. I mean, the Lord denying you entry to worship. Could you imagine if we stood at the door and had a questionnaire? And we could tell if you were actually lying or telling the truth. You got any bitterness in there? Oh, no. Oh, he lied. Stay out. You're not coming in. Can't come in and worship today. Oh. The Lord says, I don't really like that you come in and worship when you haven't taken care of the first thing. And the first thing is you need to take care of some relationships before you come and take care of me. Because you're not ready to worship me. The problem is you're not ready to worship him. The trouble is that although you may think that you're ready and you want to and you go, well, yeah, but I just, I can forget about, I can push that off to the side, but the Lord hasn't forgotten about it. 
he's still looking down going, there's still iniquity between me and thee. I mentioned this this morning. When your relationship with Jesus Christ is, is right, your relationship with everybody else will be right. Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6 are amazing. I'm probably going to end up preaching a series out of it eventually. I don't know. But you look through that chapter, and right, you, that's the spot where you get speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, right? Be not drunk with wine, whereas excess, but be filled with the Spirit, right? And then right after he tells you how to be filled with the Spirit, he tells you that you're supposed to submit one to another. Right after that, he tells the husbands and the wives how to live together. Right after that, he tells the children to obey their parents and the Lord, for this is right. Right after that, he tells the servants how to obey their masters. Every earthly relationship you find, you know what you get? If you're filled with the Spirit, you'll know how to do every one of them. That's a pretty good deal. If you'd put the spiritual things ahead of the physical things, you know what you'd have? You'd be able to forgive somebody. But you're putting your physical above your spiritual. Well, I don't want my well-being with Jesus. My anger with them is more important to me than my closeness to my Savior. That's what it really is. What it really is, is I am more, more content being angry and mad and bitter and I'm going to hold on to that instead of clinging to Him. Because you could let go of this. And you could cling to Him and He'll get you through the pain that was there. I'm not saying it wasn't painful. I'm not saying you weren't hurt. I'm not saying it wasn't a problem. I'm not saying that they weren't in the wrong. But you were in the wrong one day. And Jesus Christ forgave you. And now you're in the wrong again. Because you refuse to forgive. Say, so how do you know that? Because He commanded you to. Isn't that the command? Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven. That's a command. That's an imperative. Be ye. That's what you're supposed to be. That's the command. The command is forgive. Well, you just don't know. The Lord knows exactly what He did. You know what He still told you? Forgive. Figure out how to forgive them. If you don't know about forgiveness, ask Pastor Legault. Got a great outline in Joseph. I'm going to steal one day. Whenever he totally retires, I'm going to take it from him so that I can keep preaching it because this is one of the best outlines I've ever heard on forgiveness. It honestly is. has every principle of forgiveness and how to forgive and how to be able to let that go. And if you, don't, if you think you've been done wrong, Joseph got you beat, guaranteed. And he could forgive. What a wonder it is to have a loving and a forgiving God and also to be able to be forgiven by the brethren because we all mess up. Look over at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. You know I had to go here. If you don't know where I'm going, don't worry. You'll catch up in a moment. First things first, you've got to have the spiritual before the physical because ultimately you've got to weigh out those consequences before your actions get, kick into effect. You've got to be able to self-inspect before you condemn. You've got to be able to reconcile before you worship. 
And in Colossians chapter 1, you find out you need Jesus Christ before all else. Verse number 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us in the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Jesus Christ before else. He says, verse number 18, he is the head of the body. He says that in all things, he might have the preeminence. You know why he told those people that you needed to hate your father and your mother and your sisters and your brothers and your own life also? It's not a question of actual hatred, like malicious hatred. Hatred can mean to love less. Well, who are you loving less than? You're loving them less than the one who has all the preeminence. What it means is that Jesus Christ matters more than they do. It means that Jesus Christ, ultimately, that their opinions are less than His opinion. That what He thinks about your life is more important to you than anybody else, what they think of what you're doing or how you think or what you've been it matters more to you what Jesus Christ's command is to your life than it does what I think of your life. It matters more what Jesus Christ has to say about the matter than anybody else you know, your spouse included. I'm going to say that again. His opinion matters more than anybody else, no matter who it is. Spouse, children, parents, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> children, parents, everybody. It doesn't matter what your coworkers think. It doesn't matter what your best friend thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It is solely what does Jesus Christ think and nobody else even matters. I don't have to double check what he thinks to find out if it's great. Preeminence is an awesome word. Most people go, well, that means he's first place and so-and-so's second place. And then he got third place. Then he got fourth place. Preeminence is a strange word because preeminence means he's the only place. There is no second place. There, there is nobody else. There's, there's no, well, you know, we took a poll... And of my top ten people between Jesus Christ, 
down to so-and-so, uh, nine out of ten, they say that I should do this. And Jesus Christ goes, yeah, but I told you that. I told you something totally different. And those nine people don't make any difference. His one opinion matters more than everybody else's. You know, it's strange. You see those little ads on TV, right, you know, or something like that. And nine out of ten doctors recommend. Okay. Were the nine doctors really lousy? Like, what if they were all terrible doctors, right? What if, they, what if they managed to go ahead and get, they polled only 10 and they were like, oh, these nine guys like us. All right, great. But the one guy who knows what he's talking about is like, you're terrible. And they're like, yeah, but nine out of 10 recommend. That's what you do when you decide you go against Jesus Christ. When you decide you aren't going to do it his way and let him have control, when you decide that it's going to be your way or somebody else's way or you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, Jesus Christ looks down and says, yeah, but in all things, all things, I have the preeminence. I'm supposed to be the one running the show. How many times does he not? How many times is it that you and I go ahead and take control and we decide based upon our feelings, based upon our wonderful logic, based upon what financial status we currently have at the moment, based upon what so-and-so thinks, based upon the best and the brightest that we can find, and we go ahead and we base everything on that, and then we turn around and we look at the Lord and we say, yeah, but God, I'm going to do this anyways. Jesus Christ is supposed to be preeminent. He's supposed to be before all things. He's the one who lets you see the spiritual instead of the physical. If the first thing is supposed to be, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, the spiritual, and put that ahead of the physical, there's only one person who gives you light to the spiritual, and it's Him. If you're going to go ahead and count the cost before you go ahead and serve Him, if you're going to go ahead and get the consequences in place before you take any action, you better talk to Him about what He's going to cost. You know what His answer is? Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And whosoever shall save his life will lose it. You could go ahead and give it all to Him and say, Hey, Lord, I'll I'll give it to you for safekeeping. And it'll come out the best life you've ever had. Too many times we don't look to him. Lord, what would you have me to do? You know, without looking to Jesus Christ, without having him preeminent, you will never be able to do a real self-inspection because you will constantly be looking around at everybody else and just go, yeah, but I'm still better than them. You need Jesus Christ to be preeminent to go, "Uh, you need to change this right here. That's what you need to work on. You need to start there. Who knows the first thing to change in your life better than him about making you into what he wants you to be? He knows the first thing to change. He knows the first thing to implement. He knows what needs to be done. He says, hey, I can go ahead and point that out, and that's what you need to fix. Uh, The potter knows the clay. He also is the only one who can help you reconcile with your brother who's gone off to the side there away from you. 
that you're against? How can I forgive? I'll tell you, you won't be able to forgive without Jesus Christ helping you. And if he's preeminent, you know he wants you to forgive. And if he's preeminent, you'll do it the way he wanted you to forgive. And you won't be able to do it any other way. How can I forgive? You can't forgive outside of Jesus Christ helping you. There's no real way around that. Without Jesus Christ, you know what you'll do? You remember all, you'll continue to remember all those hardships and heartaches, the pain caused, and you'll remember it, and you'll keep remembering it, and you'll keep doing it, and you will eventually leave yourself bitter and unmoving because you didn't seek Him. Seek ye first. Count the cost first. Take care of the beam in your own eye first. Be reconciled to your brother first. That'll all get straight if you have Jesus Christ preeminent. Put him first. He's number one. And there are no others. Tonight, oftentimes, I feel like our focus is sadly lacking. He says, looking on to Jesus. We don't have our focus in the right place, so we don't keep things in order the way they're supposed to be. We struggle to maintain the spiritual over the physical, and we struggle to maintain the things that are supposed to be there first, because ultimately we don't have Jesus Christ preeminent. And if Jesus Christ, his statement is, if I be lifted up preeminent, I will draw all men unto me. So how do I get closer? Lift him up. He'll draw you too. He'll keep you close. If you'd be willing to lift him up in your own life. Uh, there's so many verses. You get to Proverbs, Psalms, talking about our steps, the way that we go. All those people, Job, knoweth the way that I take. All those pieces, and if you would trust him, and you'd trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's the way that works. It's making sure he is the one who makes all of the decisions we have. I'm going to end with this illustration. I love this illustration. Many of you have heard it before. I heard a preacher one time, I don't remember who it was, it's on a disc I have, and he's talking about the Lord being in control. He's talking about that, you know, the hat and the bumper stickers and all that, Jesus is my co-pilot thing. And he goes, you know, I often imagine me sitting in the car and I'm driving and Jesus, he's my navigator, right? He's my co-pilot in the passenger seat there. He says, and as we're traveling along, my, my co-pilot Jesus, he tells me, uh, we need to take a right up here. And I look down that road and I say, I don't want to go down that road. So I just keep driving straight. And since he's the co-pilot, he's got nothing to say about it. I'll find you another route. And after a while, he wants to turn left and he, I say, oh, I'm not going that way either. <laughs> and so I figured out, 
Jesus can't be my co-pilot. He better be on the driver's seat. So I stop the car and I get out and I change seats with him and he starts driving. But you know what the problem was? Every time I told him to turn and I didn't want to go that way, he wouldn't. He'd go ahead and go wherever I told him to go. So I told him to pull over and I got out and I got into the back seat. And as I sat there, I realized I was a back seat driver now. And I could still see where he wanted to go and so I would tell him not to. And he wouldn't take me. It wasn't until I got out of the out of the car and opened the lid to the trunk and hopped inside and held him to close the lid and take me wherever it is he wants me to go. Because if I could see where he wanted me to go, I wouldn't do it. That's faith. That's preeminence. That's the spiritual above the physical. That's counting the cost and going, Lord, I don't know what the cost will be, but I'll go ahead and do it if you just let me. I don't know where you'll take me, but I know I'll be safe because you tr- I trust you to take me. That'll be the time when he can go ahead and get the greatest blessings as you forgive, knowing that he told you to forgive. First things first. First things first. Let all things be done decently and in order. Let's go ahead and stand. If the Lord's dealing with you, feel free to come. I don't believe anybody in here is lost. If there is, I would love to take care of the first thing that you need to take care of, and that's trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, having your sins forgiven forever. You can come, and we'll gladly show you out of the Word of God how you can have that and know it for sure. A Christian, maybe tonight you got some things out of order. Need to shuffle it back up a little bit and get it in the right place. Hit the reset button on that one. Say, Lord, I need to, I need to put you first. Maybe you need to do that tonight. Father, I thank you for the night. I thank you for a wonderful Savior as Jesus, my Jesus. Lord, I do pray that you would help us to keep you preeminent. Lord, you are the one who matters. Nobody else really does. You know the best way and you know the the perfect way for us to be able to give you glory and to be able to get victories and to have the best. Father, you said you wanted to give us life more abundant. Father, I, I think a lot of the reason we don't have more abundant is because we've decided to get things out of order and you can't bless the way you want to. Father, I do pray you would bless our night tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.